Okay, can everyone hear me? Yes. Fantastic. Well, as Rachel said, this is the first time I've done this. And um, I did actually ask Mick if I could preach in this series, having done lots of training, because I feel that the, knowing our identity in Jesus is just absolutely life-changing. Knowing freedom from condemnation and God's grace changes everything. You know, it makes such a difference and it gives us freedom to be who we are. It gives us freedom to to move in everything that God wants us to move in. And to me, that is so precious. And over recent years, I've I've only I think I've just begun to grasp God's grace towards us, you know, and that there's no need for striving. There's no need to beat ourselves up. There's no need to try and do everything to to bring ourselves to God because God's grace gives us everything. Okay, and I, and I know that when the first time I got a glimpse of God's grace, I mean, I knew it in my head for many years. I knew that, yeah, God forgives me. I'm not condemned. But the first time I actually understood it in my heart, it melted something inside me. It changed something inside me that has never been the same since. You know, it touched something. And, and it's like God was saying, yeah, you can do all these things, but here's my grace. And I just felt God saying, why wouldn't you take it? You know, I'm here, I'm offering it to you. Why wouldn't you take it? Why just carry on doing all these other things when I'm offering you my grace? And that for me was absolutely life-changing. So that's what I really want to share today. And it is, as Rachel said, I am free from condemnation and cannot be separated from the love of God. And that came out today in what Jane prayed. And it came out in something else that somebody said about not being separated from the love of God. Nothing that we can do can separate us from the love of God. So before I look at the scripture, so we are going to look at Romans 8 in a little while because there's, there's such a lot in there. Before I look at that, I just want to see what is the effect of being under condemnation. So we know that condemnation means we're guilty. You know, if somebody is condemned, the condemned man, he's guilty of a crime and he deserves punishment. But God says we're not under condemnation. But sometimes we can walk around with a cloud over our head as if, yeah, I'm not quite good enough. I'm, you know, this person here is really spiritual and God really uses them. And then there's me. This person here is such a good mother. They're so patient and so lovely and they speak so well to their children. And then there's me. This person is more successful or more popular. And then there's me, I'm a little bit awkward sometimes. I not, don't have all the social skills that some people have. You know, I don't quite compare. And the feeling of I don't quite meet the mark, which I think many of us have, that disqualifies us from doing what God wants us to do and being who God wants us to be. We feel like we're not quite up to it somehow. I haven't quite reached that mark where, where we can be used of God. Sometimes that can be a, a vague sort of feeling of unease. A vague feeling of, yeah, I, I do so many things wrong. I'm not that good, really. Or, but, but God, if we do something wrong, God convicts us. And we turn to him and we say, God, forgive me. And he does. So this feeling of unease, this feeling of guilt is not of God. He doesn't want us to be weighed down by this cloud of guilt, that feeling that God isn't really that pleased with me. And I think I've carried that for a long time. You know, that I can see God is pleased with this person over here, but not really feeling that God is pleased with me. 
that he sees me as his child, he is pleased with me. And I think there's so many things we're told we should do as Christians, which are all good, great things to do. <laughs> we should pray more. We should read the Bible more. We should witness more. We should go to church more. We should do so many things more. And they're all really, really good. They're all really important because prayer is, our, is the air that we breathe. Prayer is our relationship with our Father. The Bible feeds us. We read the Bible and, and we learn and God speaks to us through it. And witnessing, as we did yesterday, is really important. But if I haven't done any of that, if I haven't really prayed since Christmas, if I haven't read my Bible for 18 months, if I haven't witnessed to anybody, it doesn't affect my standing before God. It makes no difference. I've missed out. Yeah, I've missed out on all the times, all the grace that I could have received. I've missed out on that time with the Father when he could speak to me and show me things. But it hasn't changed my relationship, my standing with him. You know, all my failures don't change anything. I, God says, I stand before him as a precious child of God. I once saw this, this um, well, it was at Stoneley when C.J. Behaney was preaching one time about, about plate spinning. I'm sure some people will remember, you know, you come to God and the people say you need to pray more. There's one plate spinning and then you need to read the Bible more. There's another plate spinning and you need to do this more. There's another one. Oh, that one stopped and I must rush over there and get that plate spinning again. And it's just like all the things you feel you have to do in order to get God's mercy and God's grace. But but we don't. God is merciful towards us. Prayer is like the air that we breathe. I was watching a, a sort of short chat with Mike Betts the other day. and I, I posted this online in the, the uh, church um, Facebook page. And he was talking about prayer and he was saying, let's make prayer a priority. So prayer is really important. We need to, to um, have that relationship with God. But he said, prayer doesn't earn us any merit with God, but prayer is a weapon, and lack of prayer will lead to lack of fruitfulness. So really, we are the ones who are missing out if we don't do these things. We're the ones who are not becoming fruitful or not becoming everything that God wants us to be. So does that mean we can do as we please? Obviously not. The Bible also in Romans, you know, further on in Romans, no, further earlier in Romans, Paul talks about you know, shall we sin that grace will abound? Well, obviously not. You know, the Bible is full of instructions for us to, to live our Christian life. But again, if we fail, we don't have to carry it around our neck like a millstone. We don't have to trudge through life thinking I've failed again. So where does our assurance come from? So how can we be so certain that God loves us um, and that his grace is upon us? So we are going to read Romans 8. Um, two, two parts of it, but Romans as a book is so full of truth, is so thick with doctrine and the good news of the gospel and long words that um, it takes a lot of digging into. So um, there's just a few long words I'm going to mention first before we read it. The first one is condemnation, and I said that condemnation means, means we're guilty. The second word is justification. So justification, I think Steve Hunter shared a few weeks ago what I thought was a really helpful definition. Justification is not receiving what we deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve condemnation. But God says, I've taken it away. And I count you 
as clean and as holy before me. And grace means we get what we don't deserve. So we get mercy, we get forgiveness, we get acceptance with God. And sanctification is the rest of our life. So when we come to God, we're born again. God says, you're justified. You're clean before me. At that moment, we are sanctified. We are set apart for God. But the rest of our life, we're working that out. But with the help of the Holy Spirit within us, he's teaching us to, um, to move on and to grow more and more into his likeness. So the Bible tells us we are being transformed or conformed to his likeness as we move on. Okay, but we must, we have to get it the right way around in our understanding. We are justified first, okay? That that happens first. We're born again, we're justified. God says, you're clean before me. And then the Holy Spirit helps us to live our lives and to change. So that's important that we don't try and live our lives first and then get justified. We are justified. And then through that, because of love for Jesus, therefore, we um, we respond to him. We re we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So, Andrew, could we have Romans eight? Yeah. So I'm going to read it a little bit at a time. Romans eight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. But what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. Or as it says in the version I have, which I think is a slightly older NIV, he condemned sin in the flesh. That is the flesh of um, Jesus, in the body of Jesus. So there was condemnation, but it was put on Christ. It's put on Christ's body. The previous law said exactly what should be done, but it was powerless to help people change. It's powerless to bring about change because of the sinful nature. So it condemned people for what they did, but it couldn't actually change their nature. The Spirit gives us freedom from the power of, the, the power of sin. And the bit that I love, it said, God did. But what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. Amen. God did. God did the work. He condemned sin in the flesh, in the flesh of Jesus. He did it because our sinful nature couldn't do it. We have the next one, Andrew. Oh, we didn't finish that. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Okay, the next one. Yeah, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So to be in the flesh means that the sinful nature within us is what guides us. So that's, you know, when we are, we're not born again, before we come to Jesus, it's the thing that guides us in our lives is our sinful nature, that inside us. 
To be in the Spirit is the Holy Spirit within us that guides us. So the new life of the Holy Spirit inside us leads us and guides us and changes us, and we are born again. It's important what we think about. So it says those who have their mind of the Spirit, their mind set on what the Spirit desires. So it is important what we think about, but it's not just positive thinking. It's not that we can change ourselves, our lives by thinking positively. It's not like these self-help guides that say you can be whoever you want to be. You know, you just have to believe. Yeah, we believe, but we believe in Jesus. We don't believe in our own efforts. So it's more about our inner desires. There is a connection between our essential being, who we are inside, and what interests us. So we're born again, so what interests us is other things of God, of following Jesus. We can go on the next one, Andrew. So verses 9 to 11. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. So there's many mentions of the Spirit in this passage. It talks about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit gives life, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, his Spirit who lives in you. So it's all about the work of the Spirit within us. He does say if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. So it is important that we open our lives to him and that we are born again. But if we have his Spirit within us, from new birth, then that spirit will guide us. The spirit gives life because of Christ's righteousness, not because of our righteousness. Next one, Andrew. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So we can't deal with the sinful nature by determination alone. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of power is needed. But by faith in God's promises, we seek to overcome those things that don't please him. So the verses we've just read take us back to what Gary said last week. I am a child of God. I am adopted in his family. Those precious truths, and we see them again here. The Holy, yep, the Holy, sorry, the Holy Spirit guides us, but it's not slavery to fear, but the spirit of sonship, of adoption, a legal standing. So all these words that we looked at, condemnation, justification, they're legal words. They're our standing before God. 
And here, this is adoption. This is a legal standing. God has adopted us as his sons. And in Roman times, when Paul was writing, you know, slaves could become adopted. And and some of the Caesars, they adopted people to become their heirs. They decided who they wanted to follow on after them, and they adopted that person to become their heirs. And so we were slaves to sin, but God decided to adopt us and to make us children of God. And because we are children of God, therefore we are heirs to such a great inheritance, and we are fellow heirs with Jesus and everything that Jesus has, and we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Okay, so we read here, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So there's two witnesses here. There's there's us inside us. We know that we are God's children. And there is the Holy Spirit witnessing with our spirit that we are God's children. This this legal adoption has two witnesses. We know that we're children. The Holy Spirit tells us that we're his children. Okay, let's move on to the last part of this. We're going to move, leave a little bit in the middle, and we're going to go on to Romans 31. And this bit we've already heard a little bit about this morning. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this passage is full of rhetorical questions. Paul asks all these questions and really there isn't an answer. We know the answer. It doesn't need to be said. So if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, that's a no-brainer really, isn't it? If the great almighty God of the universe, the God who created everything, who rules in power... Excuse me. If he is for us, who can be against us? The answer is obvious. No one. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? (coughs) Sorry, would somebody get me a glass of water? We see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. (coughs) So we know who our accuser is, don't we? 
But scripture tells us that his days are numbered. His power has been broken. And at the end of days, we will see he will be thrown down. He is the accuser of the brethren. It's not God who accuses us. It is the accuser. It's Satan. Who is he that condemns? No one. And it talks about the attributes and the work that Christ has done. Um, Andrew, would you just put that up again for me? Before that, a little bit before that, <laughs> he said, yeah, who, in verse 34, who is he that condemns Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That is a whole package, isn't it? Nobody condemns us. Christ Jesus died. He was condemned. He was raised. He's at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. It's the whole package of works. It's everything that God has done for us. Who is he that condemns? No one. The attributes and work of Christ. And then we have who can separate us from the, the love of God? No one and nothing, basically. And he talks about all these things. And, and Paul was very real. He suffered many things for Christ, didn't he? He suffered persecution. He suffered beatings. He was imprisoned. He almost drowned. He nearly died. He was bitten by a snake and many other things. So he wasn't saying life's just going to be absolutely cozy. He acknowledges that the people that he was writing to had also suffered, and they were also going to suffer a lot more after this period of time, through the time of the persecution that they were going to experience. So all these things, it's not an easy life. We have pain. We have grief. We have sorrow. We have persecution sometimes. We have things that are difficult, things that we regret, things that maybe in our families that 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 pain us, that may give us sorrow, that cause us to hurt. It's not easy, but nothing can separate us from God's love. And it says, the little bit that I missed out, says about God working everything for good for those who love him. He knows, he understands. So I just want to make it a little bit practical at the end. So if God doesn't condemn us <clears throat> and doesn't condemn our brothers, neither should we. It's very easy, isn't it, to look at others and make quick judgments, maybe be a little bit condemning, but God doesn't condemn us. Who are we to condemn our brothers? That doesn't mean that we don't sometimes mention things when they need to be said, but it's not condemnation. It's not, you're so, you're so proud, you're so selfish, you're so this and you're so that, you know, pointing the finger, because that isn't what God says to us and he doesn't treat us like that and so we also ought to treat our brothers with grace the same grace if there is sin in our lives we need to ask for forgiveness so if we do feel that there's sin that's stopping us from moving on we do need to ask for forgiveness and we need to receive his forgiveness we do need to cooperate with the holy spirit and we do need to rejoice in being a forgiven child of god and then also, who will we listen to? Who will we listen today? Who will we listen to? Will we listen to that inner voice that says, look at you, you're so rubbish. Look at what you've done. Look at what you said. Look at the mess you made of your life. Will we listen to the accuser of the brethren who's, who's accusing us all the time? Or will we listen to God? God says, 
You're my child. I love you. So I would like us to pray. <clears throat> I would like us just to shut our eyes for a moment. <clears throat> and the things that I have on my heart this morning, if there's any sin in your life that you feel disqualifies you from being used by God, sin in your life that you feel ashamed of, that think, makes you think God can never use you, I just ask you now to confess it before him, to ask him to forgive you and to receive that grace. And maybe get someone to pray for you. You know, we can have, spend a time of praying for each other, sharing with each other and receiving that forgiveness. The other thing I have on my heart is, do, you, do we need to pray against the things that people have said over you? You know, maybe somebody said, you're so stupid. You're so this, you're so that, you're a failure, you'll never make anything, you'll never be any good in this world, you'll never be a success, people don't like you. Are there any of those words hanging over us this morning? If so, we need to pray against them because they are not what defines you. They are not who you are. God says you're his child. And the next, the last thing is, thing is for all of us. Are we willing to let go of our fears, our negativity, our fear of others, and step out into new things. And what would church be like if everybody did that? What would Sunday mornings be like if everybody did that? What would evangelism be like if we all did that? You know, are we willing to let go of those feelings that we haven't quite made it, we're not quite good enough, and believe God and who God says we are, and step out into new things? If we don't risk anything, we won't fail, but we won't grow either. And I just ask everybody today just to, just as, I'm just going to pray for us all now. And then maybe we've got, we've got a few minutes. We can just pray with people. If you want prayer, especially, you can put your hand up and people will come and pray for you. So, Lord God, I just pray that you will take these words that I've brought. Lord God, I pray that you will use them to change, to open up our hearts. Lord God, I pray that your anointing will be upon them. Lord God, you'll bring about change in lives, as I know you've brought about change in my life. Lord, open our eyes to see who we are in you, to see our identity in you. Lord God, I just ask that you would flow through this place now and help us to put aside our fears. Help us to put aside those things which we feel disqualify us. Help us to take hold of courage and to move out into new things. I know you've been speaking to us about moving into new things, and this is moving into something new for me today. Lord God, I just pray that you'd speak to every heart here and touch every heart in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'd like prayer for any of those things, maybe you could just put up your hand and we could people can surround you. If you want prayer to come against what people have said in your lives, you know, the negative those things they said about you, then we can do that. Okay. If there's any sin in your life you think disqualifies you, we can pray for you. And also now, if you feel like you need a bit of courage, yeah, you're really up for it, you want to do it, but you need a bit of courage to step out into God's what God wants for you. Can you put your hand up as well and we'll pray?